Welcome back to CGSW 90.9 FM. My name is Sean Collins, and I'm the host of the next hour of programming. This month on Energy Voices, we're going to do a long-form look at the sustainable development goals and green growth. While you may not realize it, this month marks one of the most transformational changes in the global approach to development that we've ever seen. Since 2000, the millennium, the world has been operating under the set of the Millennium Development Goals, something that many people have heard about uh, and have had quite a significant effect on global development. We are now, just this month, launching the Sustainable Development Goals at an event in New York put on by the United Nations, which will focus on the next 15 years of development for the world. The change to include the term Sustainable Development Goals inherently applies an aspect of energy and the environment. One of the key missing pieces from the Millennium Development Goals was any aspect of work around energy and the environment. When you dive into it, though, you realize that many aspects of development from poverty, from health, from women's rights are all related to energy in some way, shape or form. So what we're going to do is we're going to have Student Energy co-founder Kaylee Taylor discuss the Sustainable Development Goals and also the Green Growth Initiative that she's working on in Geneva currently. Without further ado, we're going to kick things off with a review of this month in energy before diving into the Sustainable Development Goals and Green Growth. there, Enter Nerds. It's Kaylee Taylor, co-founder of Student Energy here, and you're listening to This Month in Energy, the segment of the show where I fill you in on all the big news stories from around the globe. Here's what's happening this September 2015. President Obama visited the Arctic to get a first-hand view of climate change impacts. This was met with harsh criticism by environmental groups after his decision to approve Arctic drilling for Shell earlier this year. Low oil prices continue to have grand impacts across the globe. The International Energy Agency predicts U.S. oil production will see the steepest fall it has since 1992. Meanwhile, OPEC producers, particularly Saudi Arabia, have maintained high levels of production. Australia's political landscape has been flipped upside down. With staunch climate denier Tony Abbott being ousted from his leadership position, there's renewed hope for a greener nation. Just in the nick of time, too. COP21 is coming up this December. The U.S. Gulf states have reached an $18.7 billion settlement with BP after nearly five years of litigation over the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill. Scottish Power announced a £2 billion investment in an offshore wind farm 40 kilometers off the coast of East Anglia to power nearly half a million homes. Coal use in China is slowing. Economic deceleration, industry restructuring, and new energy and environmental policies have slowed coal consumption in China after nearly half a decade of rapid growth. Coal, which supplies two-thirds of China's overall energy use, grew only 1-2% to in 2012 and 2013, and was nearly flat in 2014. The Bonn climate talks have now come to a close. This is the last formal negotiation before the 21st Conference of the Parties. There are lots of positive outcomes coming out of this negotiation. Ethiopia and Morocco were the latest countries to submit their national climate plans referred to as Intended Nationally Determined Contributions, or INDCs. That brings the total to 39 countries who have now submitted. 
In addition, the G7 made historic pledges to decarbonize the global economy, and Norway's $900 billion sovereign wealth fund announced that it would divest from coal-related investments. Only two months until Paris. Student Energy will be there, will you? That's all, folks. That's This Month in Energy. You may have heard of the Sustainable Development Goals, but you may not know how important they are to the future of international development. At the Sustainable Development Summit held September 25th to 27th, 2015 in New York City, the United Nations adopted its post-2015 agenda referred to as the Sustainable Development Goals, or the SDGs. The SDGs were developed to replace the Millennium Development Goals, or the MDGs, which were set in 2000 to address the challenges of international development globally, and which expired in 2015. The SDGs are the new age of international development. They are a list of 17 goals and 169 associated targets representing people, planet, prosperity, peace, and partnership. Universality and integration are the big themes of the SDGs. Unlike the MDGs that were focused almost exclusively on the developing world, the SDGs are universal in their application. They require both the developed and the developing worlds to buy in and move towards implementation. They also have integrated themes like the environment and gender equality within all the goals, so they are not standalone aspirations but rather part of an integrated development agenda. With environment being notably absent from the MDGs, it is promising that more than half of the SDGs have an environmental focus, and there is at least some link to the environment in all the SDGs. Energy was also missing from the MDGs and now has its own focus in the SDGs. The UN SE for All, or Sustainable Energy for All initiative, is represented in Goal 7, ensure access to affordable reliable, sustainable, and modern energy for all. SE for All aims to double the share of renewables, double the rate of energy efficiency, and assure that no one is without energy. So what are the SDGs? 1 through 17, here we go. Number 1, end poverty in all its forms, everywhere. Number 2, end hunger, achieve food security, and improve nutrition, and promote sustainable agriculture. Number three, ensure healthy lives and promote well-being for all ages. Number four, ensure inclusive and equitable quality education and promote lifelong learning opportunities for all. Number five, achieve gender equality and empower all women and girls. Number six, ensure availability and sustainable management of water and sanitation for all. Number seven, ensure access to affordable, reliable, sustainable, and modern energy for all. Number eight, promote sustained, inclusive, and sustainable economic growth, full and productive employment, and decent work for all. Number nine, build resilient infrastructure, promote inclusive and sustainable industrialization, and foster innovation. Number 10, Reduce inequality within and among countries. Number 11, make cities and human settlements inclusive, safe, resilient, and sustainable. 
Number 12, ensure sustainable consumption and production patterns. Number 13, take urgent action to combat climate change and its impacts. Number 14, conserve and sustainably use the oceans, seas, and marine resources for sustainable development. Number 15, protect, restore, and promote sustainable use of terrestrial ecosystems, sustainably manage forests, combat desertification, and halt and reverse land degradation and halt biodiversity loss. Number 16, promote peaceful and inclusive societies for sustainable development, provide access to justice for all and build effective, accountable, and inclusive institutions at all levels. And number 17, strengthen the means of implementation and revitalize the global partnerships for sustainable development. You can find more information about all the sustainable development goals and how you can contribute to their implementation at sustainabledevelopment.un.org. To mark the launch of the Sustainable Development Goals, President Barack Obama of the United States recently gave an incredible speech at the United Nations referencing the importance of adopting the Sustainable Development Goals and the role that the Sustainable Development Goals will play in alleviating poverty and promoting development globally. We have taken a portion of President Obama's speech and will air it as part of this month's episode on Energy Voices. Without further ado, here's President Barack Obama. Good afternoon. Mr. Secretary General, fellow delegates, ladies and gentlemen, it is a great honor to be here to address the topic of sustainable development. You know, in many of our nations, especially developed countries, there is among our general population a genuine compassion towards those in need. There is a recognition of the grinding poverty that so many experience every day around the world. And yet sometimes it's said that our efforts to combat poverty and disease do not and cannot work, that there are some places beyond hope, that certain people and regions are condemned to an endless cycle of suffering. Here, today, we put those myths to rest. Today, we set aside the skepticism and we lift up the hope that is available to us through collective action. Because the world came together in an unprecedented effort, the global hunger rate has already been slashed. Tens of millions of more boys and girls are today in school. Prevention and treatment of measles and malaria and tuberculosis have saved nearly 60 million lives. HIV-AIDS infections and deaths have plummeted. And more than one billion people have lifted themselves up from extreme poverty. One billion. 
The entire world can take enormous pride in these historic achievements. And so let the skeptics and cynics know development works. Investing in public health works. We can break the cycle of poverty. People and nations can rise into prosperity. Despite the cruelties of our world and the ravages of disease, millions of lives can be saved if we are focused and if we work together. Cynicism is our enemy. A belief, a capacity in the dignity of every individual and a recognition that we, each of us, can play a small part to play in lifting up people all around the world, that is the message that we are sending here today. And because of the work of so many who are assembled here today, we can point to past success, and yet we are also here today because we understand that our work is nowhere near done. We can take pride in what we've accomplished, but we cannot be complacent. When 11 boys and girls die every single minute from preventable causes, we know we have more work to do. When hundreds of women die every single day just from having a baby, we know we have more work to do. When tens of millions of children are still not in school, when hundreds of millions of people have no clean water, no toilets, we have so much more to do. Right now, some 800 million men, women, and children are scraping by on less than $1.25 a day. Imagine that, gripped by the ache of an empty stomach. Billions of our fellow human beings are at risk of dying from diseases that we know how to prevent. Many children are just one mosquito bite away from death. And that is a moral outrage. It is a profound injustice. It is literally a matter of life and death. And now the world must act. We cannot leave people behind. And so today we commit ourselves to new sustainable development goals, including our goal of ending extreme poverty in our world. We do so understanding how difficult the task may be. We suffer no illusions of the challenges ahead. But we understand this is something that we must commit ourselves to. Because in doing so, we recognize that our most, most basic bond, our common humanity, compels us to act. An impoverished child in a distant slum or a neighborhood not that far from here is just as equal, just as worthy as any of our children, as any of us, as any head of government or leader in this great hall. We reaffirm that supporting development is not charity, but is instead one of the smartest investments we can make in our own future. 
After all, it is, it is a lack of development when people have no education and no jobs and no hope, a feeling that their basic human dignity is being violated that helps fuel so much of the tensions and conflict and instability in our world. And I profoundly believe that many of the conflicts, the refugee crises, the military interventions over the years might have been avoided if nations had truly invested in the lives of their people and if the wealthiest nations on Earth were better partners in working with those that are trying to lift themselves up. As one of the founders of the United Nations, Ralph Bunch, once said, Peace is no mere matter of men fighting or not fighting. Peace, to have meaning, must be translated into bread or rice, shelter, health, and education. I'm here to say that in this work, the United States will continue to be your partner. Five years ago, I pledged here that America would remain the global leader in development, and the United States government, in fact, remains the single largest donor of development assistance, including in global health. In times of crisis, from Ebola to Syria, we are the largest provider of humanitarian aid. In times of disaster and crisis, the world can count on the friendship and generosity of the American people. The question before us, though, as an international community, is how do we meet these new goals that we've set today? How can we do our work better? How can we stretch our resources and our funding more effectively? How can donor countries be smarter, and how can recipient countries do more with what they receive? We have to learn from the past to see where we succeeded so that we can duplicate that success and to understand where we've fallen short and correct those shortcomings. And we start by understanding that this next chapter of development cannot fall victim to the old divides between developed nations and developing ones. Poverty, growing inequality, exists in all of our nations, and all of our nations have work to do, and that includes here in the United States. That's why, after a terrible recession, my administration has worked to keep millions of families from falling into poverty. That's why we've brought quality, affordable health care to more than 17 million Americans. Here in this country, the wealthiest nation on Earth, we're still working every day to perfect our union and to be more equal and more just and to treat the most vulnerable members of our society with value and concern. And that's why today I am committing the United States to achieving the Sustainable Development Goals. And as long as I am President, and as long as I am President, and well after I'm done being President, I will keep fighting for the education and housing and health care and jobs that reduce inequality and create opportunity here in the United States and around the world. 
because this is not just the job of politicians. This is work for all of us. Now, this next chapter of development cannot just be about what governments spend. It has to harness the unprecedented resources of our interconnected world. In just a few short years, in the areas of health and food security and energy, my administration has committed and helped mobilize more than $100 billion to promote development and save lives, more than $100 billion. And guided by the new consensus we reached in Addis, I'm calling on others to join us. More governments, more institutions, more businesses, more philanthropies, more NGOs, more faith communities, more citizens. We all need to step up with the will and the resources and the coordination to achieve our goals. This, this must be the work of the world. At the same time, this next chapter of development must focus not simply on the dollars we spend, but on the results that we achieve. And this demands new technologies and approaches, accountability, data, behavioral science, understanding that there are, there's lessons that we have learned, best practices on how people actually live so that we can dramatically improve outcomes. It means breaking cycles of dependence by helping people become more self-sufficient, not just giving people fish, but teaching them how to fish. That's the purpose of development. Rather than just sending food during famine, although we have to do that to avert starvation, we also have to bring new techniques and new seeds and new technologies to more farmers so they can boost their yields and increase their incomes, feed more people, and lift countless millions out of poverty. Rather than just respond to outbreaks like Ebola, although we have to do that, and we have, let's also strengthen public health systems and advance global health security to prevent epidemics in the first place. As more countries take ownership of their HIV-AIDS programs, the United States is setting two new bold goals. Over the next two years, we'll increase the number of people that our funding reaches so that nearly 13 million people with HIV-AIDS get life-saving treatment. And we'll invest $300 million to help achieve a 40 percent reduction in new HIV infections among young women and girls in the hardest-hit areas of sub-Saharan Africa. And I believe we can do that, the first AIDS-free generation. This next chapter of development must also unleash economic growth, not just for a few at the top, but inclusive, sustainable growth that lifts up the fortunes of the many. We know the ingredients for creating jobs and opportunity. They are not a secret. So let's embrace reforms that attract trade and investment to areas that are in need of investment and in need of trade. Let's trade and build more together, make it easier for developing countries to sell more of their goods around the world. And let's invest in our greatest resource, our people, their education, their skills. Let's invest in innovative entrepreneurs, the striving young people who embrace new technology, 
and are starting businesses and can ignite new industries that change the world. I have met young people in, on every continent, and they can lead the way if we give them the tools they need. Our new, uh, our new development goals are ambitious, but thanks to the good work of many of you, they are achievable if we work together, if we meet our responsibilities to each other. I believe that. The progress of recent years gives us hope. We know what works. We know how to do this. But perhaps because this is now my seventh year of addressing the General Assembly, uh, I tend to be more blunt. Along with the gray hair, I'm becoming more likely to speak my mind. So indulge me when I say that we will never achieve our goals if we do not squarely confront several insidious threats to the dignity and well-being of people around the world. No matter how much hard work is done by development agencies, no matter how large the donations and commitments that are made by donor countries, if we don't take care of some other elements of development, we will not meet our, the goals that we've set. Number one, development is threatened by bad governance. Today, we affirm what we know to be true from decades of experience. Development and economic growth that is truly sustainable and inclusive depends on governments and institutions that care about their people, that are accountable, that respect human rights and deliver justice for everybody and not just some. So in the face of corruption that siphons billions away from schools and hospitals and infrastructure into foreign bank accounts, governments have to embrace transparency and open government and rule of law. And combating illicit finance must be a global effort because it is part of our development effort. And citizens and civil society groups must be free to organize and speak their mind and work for progress because that's how countries develop. That's how countries succeed. Development is also threatened by inequality. And this is a political debate that we have in this country. So I just want to be clear, this is not something from which the United States is immune to. Every country has to grapple with this issue. The wealthiest and most powerful in our societies oftentimes like to keep things as they are. And they often have disproportionate political influence. When poor children are more likely to get sick and die than children in wealthier neighborhoods just across town, when rural families are more likely to go without clean water, when ethnic and religious minorities or people with disabilities or people of different sexual orientations are discriminated against or can't access education and opportunity that holds all of us back. And so in all of our countries, we have to invest in the interventions that allow us to reach more people, because no one should be left behind just because of where they live or what they look like. Development is threatened by old attitudes, especially those that deny rights and opportunity to women. 
In too many places, girls are less likely to be in school than boys. Globally, women are less likely to have a job than men and are more likely to live in poverty. And I've said this before, and I will keep repeating it. One of the best indicators of whether a country will succeed is how it treats its women. When women have an education, when women have a job, their children are more likely to get an education. Their families are healthier and more prosperous. Their communities and countries do better as well. So every nation, all of our nations, must invest in the education and health and skills of our women and girls. And, and I have to say, I do not have patience for the excuse of, well, we have our own ways of doing things. I understand. We, we understand that there is a long tradition in every society of discriminating against women. But that's not an excuse for taking a new path in order to make sure that Everyone in a society has opportunity. Development is threatened if we do not recognize the incredible dynamism and opportunity of today's Africa. Hundreds of millions of Africans still struggle in the face of grinding poverty and deadly disease, daily assaults on their lives and dignity. But I visited Africa recently, and what I saw gave me hope, and I know should give you hope, because that continent has made impressive gains in health and education. It is one of the fastest-growing regions of the world, with a rising middle class. And during my travels, Africans, especially young Africans, tell me they don't just want aid, they want trade. They want businesses. They want investment. So I call on the world to join us as we mobilize billions of dollars in new trade and investment and development in Africa. And that includes Power Africa, our initiative to bring electricity and greater opportunity to more than 60 million African homes and businesses. If we get Africa fulfilling its full potential, that will help the entire global economy. Everyone here will be helped. It's not a zero-sum game. We are invested in their success. Development is threatened by war. This should be a simple proposition, but it bears repeating. It is no coincidence that half of the people living in extreme poverty around the world live in places afflicted by chronic violence and conflict. Today, some 60 million men, women, and children have been forced from their homes, many by conflicts in the Middle East and in Africa. Now, these are humanitarian crises and refugees that we cannot ignore. And we have to deliver the urgent aid that is needed right now. And those countries that can must do more to accommodate refugees, recognizing that those children are just like ours. 
but our efforts must be matched by the hard work of diplomacy and reconciliation to end conflicts that so often tear societies apart. And as I said earlier, war and conflict is more likely to arise where we have bad governance and we have high inequality and we have discrimination against minority groups and ethnic groups and we have low educational levels. So these things are all related. And finally, development is threatened by climate change. And I want to thank the Secretary General for the extraordinary leadership and work that he's done on this issue. All of our countries will be affected by a changing climate. But the world's poorest people will bear the heaviest burden from rising seas and more intense droughts, shortages of water and food. We will be seeing climate change refugees. As His Holiness Pope Francis has rightly implored the world this is a moral calling. In just two months, the world has an opportunity to unite around a strong global agreement. I saw, I saw President uh, Hulon walk in uh, a few moments ago. We are going to be converging in Paris with his leadership and the leadership of every world leader. We need to establish the tools and financing to help developing nations embrace clean energy, adapt to climate change, and ensure that there is not a false choice between economic development and the best practices that can save our planet. We can do the same at the same time, and the communities and lives of billions of people depend on the work that we do. Future generations of young people watching Today and tomorrow will judge us by the choices we make in the months and years ahead. And one of those young people uh, is Eva Tulage. Now, Eva lives in a village in Tanzania. She's 15 years old, and she wrote me a letter. Some of you know I get 10 letters a day, mostly from inside the United States, but sometimes international letters. I get 40,000 a day, but I read 10. <laughs> and so Eva told me about her parents, farmers who struggle to provide for their seven children. And this young 15-year-old girl, a girl the age of my daughters, she dreams of going to college, but with little food to eat, she explained how it's hard for her sometimes to concentrate in school. She explained that her house doesn't have electricity, so it's hard for her to study at night. It's not because her parents don't love her and don't have ambitions for her. Her father works incredibly hard in the fields to pay for her education. but they just need a little help. I won't let him down, Eva said. 
I'll do whatever it takes, she said in her letter. And then knowing that we would be gathered at this summit to help lift up families like hers, she asked me a question that could be asked of all of our nations. What will you commit to doing? What will you do? And there are billions of boys and girls just like Eva. They're just like our children. They have as much talent and as much hope for the future. And they're willing to work hard. And their parents love them just as much as we love ours. And just by the accident of birth, it's so much more difficult for them to achieve their dreams as it is for our children. But in the eyes of God, they are the same children. They're just as important. And for Eva and all those just trying to survive another day in conditions that many of us can barely imagine, it can sometimes seem as if the world is blind to their struggles and their dreams. And so today, I say to Eva and hundreds of millions, billions like her, we see you, we hear you, I've read your letter, and we commit ourselves as nations, as one world, to the urgent work that must be done, to standing with families like Eva's as they work and strive for a better life, to ending the injustice of extreme poverty, to upholding the inherent dignity of every human being, whatever it takes. We cannot let them down. And with your help, we won't. Thank you very much. One of the terms that's gaining an increasing amount of importance related to the Sustainable Development Goals is green growth. Green growth is the idea that you can explicitly tie your environmental and your economic growth objectives as it relates to developing nation. There's a whole suite of knowledge and understanding that has been developed around how we correlate desire for an increased quality of life with the need of having a low emissions development strategy. We're going to kick things off first with an explanation of what green growth is before having Kaylee Taylor interview someone from the Green Growth Knowledge Platform in Geneva about how knowledge is being shared amongst nations as it relates to policy and green growth in general. Asia, a region boasting rich biodiversity and natural resources, dynamic economies, and more than 4 billion people aspiring for a prosperous and secure future, has seen rapid economic growth in recent decades. However, rising populations, growing resource scarcity, energy and food insecurity, and natural disasters made worse by climate change are affecting people across the region, particularly poor and marginalized populations. The message is clear. While millions have been lifted out of poverty, the current growth patterns are unsustainable and inequitable. A new economic model is needed, one that boosts development, reduces poverty, and provides a high quality of life. The solution? Green growth. A green economy is low carbon, resource efficient, and socially inclusive. Many countries across Asia are already transitioning to this new paradigm. 
their experience shows that the right policies, knowledge, skills, and incentives can influence behavior and catalyze investments in green businesses and activities. Increasingly, countries are using a low emission development strategy, or LEDs, as the foundation for achieving green growth. These national strategic frameworks are developed following careful analysis of a nation's unique strengths and challenges. They outline tangible actions integrated across all sectors of the economy to increase efficiency, reduce greenhouse gases, spur economic growth, and increase resilience to the impacts of climate change. Where and how can we translate this vision into reality? Forestry. While planting more trees sounds like a cliché, forests and trees are essential for sustainable development, providing critical services. These ecosystems store carbon, support biodiversity, regulate water flows, and reduce soil erosion. We need to take action now by protecting our forests and peatlands, restoring degraded or cleared forests, stopping illegal logging and forest clearance, and promoting sustainable management of forests. Agriculture. Green growth is fundamental for long-term food security and poverty reduction. Promoting the use of naturally drought-resistant or salt-tolerant plants and other environmentally friendly alternatives can help farmers avoid catastrophic losses and improve their income during dry years. Investing in and promoting organic products, green labels, and ecotourism can create green jobs while maintaining vital ecosystem services such as crop pollination and water purification. Energy. Did you know that energy efficient buildings can cut energy costs up to 30% or more? Policies that encourage energy efficiency and investments in clean energy can boost innovation, increase profits, and enhance energy security. And supporting small-scale renewable energy projects can help increase energy access for the poor. Transport. Investment in green and affordable transport can not only reduce traffic congestion and air pollution, but also help alleviate poverty. Promoting high-speed rail and bus rapid transit supporting fuel-efficient and electric vehicles, improving pollution standards, and introducing new biofuels increases green transport options and creates green jobs. Simply put, green growth is smart development. Greening different sectors of the economy as part of a comprehensive LEDs promotes investment, innovation, and job creation, which sustains growth and provides new economic opportunities. Governments, businesses, civil society, and individuals all have a role to play. What will you do? What is your role? Let's work together for a sustainable future.
everyone. It's Kaylee Taylor, co-founder of Student Energy here, and I'm joined in the studio by Ben Simmons, who is the head of the Green Growth Knowledge Platform based in Geneva, Switzerland. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ben. Thank you, Kaylee. Pleasure to be here. So today we're talking green growth, but before we get there, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure, my pleasure. Um, so um, I, um, I'm from the United States. Um, I've been living the last um, 13 years in, in Geneva, Switzerland. Um, I grew up in uh, Nebraska, um, not a hotbed for sustainability, but um, I did uh, spend my uh, youth in, in Nebraska and, uh, and worked on a farm growing up, um, which gave me a, a very good insight into the relationship between humans and, and nature and, and our dependence on the environment. Um, after uh, after uh, leaving high school, I, um, I spent a year in Norway, um, and it would, just happened to be a very uh, formative year and an important year for sustainability. It was the year that our Common Future was uh, launched uh, by uh, Gro Harlem Brundtland, who was then the Prime Minister of Norway, um, and really uh, started to look at that question of sustainability and the relationship between uh, the economy, the environment, and, and the social dimension. Um, went to a, a college, in a small uh, college in Iowa, uh, focusing on international studies, and then spent a few years as a Peace Corps volunteer in Senegal, where I had a chance to uh, live and work in a a very small village in southern Senegal, um, around 150 people, no running water, no electricity, uh, but had a chance to work with the community on a variety of, of issues uh, around forestry and agriculture. Um, after Peace Corps, um, joined a, a graduate program in New York at Columbia University, focusing on international affairs, and, and ultimately um, uh, received my law degree there as well. Um, after graduating, spent a, a couple of years at a law firm in New York, focusing on environmental law, and then joined the United Nations Environment Program in 2003 and have been with the uh, United Nations Environment Program since then. Um, the Green Growth Knowledge Platform, which I currently head, is jointly hosted by the United Nations Environment Program. Great. Thanks so much. So your background has kind of led you to this place of green growth. So what exactly is green growth? Well, uh, green growth in a nutshell is, is really looking at... Um, avenues for creation of economic growth and economic development that is environmentally sustainable. Um, it, really, it really is looking at the intersection of two pillars of sustainable development, which is the environment pillar and the economic uh, pillar. Um, of course, the social pillar is also um, inherently important. Um, you can never really truly achieve any type of sustainable growth without also uh, considering the social dimension and, and equity. Um, but yeah, so green growth, you know, there are many definitions um, out there of green growth, but it's really, it's really the foundation of looking at how do we create economic systems uh, that are environmentally sustainable. You know, as you know, um, the current economic systems um, just aren't working. Um, we have, uh, you know, we, have, we do have some uh, growth, there are some, there's some income generation, but it's at a huge environmental cost. Um, and this cost is not sustainable. Um, we can see that through uh, the challenges related to climate change, deforestation, um, uh, depletion of fisheries, biodiversity loss, across the board what we're seeing is that the challenges of the environment are undermining um, our economic development and uh, livelihoods, people's jobs. And so the challenge we, we face is, is, is a very core and basic challenge to all of humanity, which is how do we create systems, particularly economic systems, in which we relate and trade goods um, on a planet with uh, finite resources? And, and how do we do that over the long term? And that's what uh, the green growth uh, concept is, is looking at. 
Great. Thanks so much. Uh, it really sounds all-encompassing. Economy, I guess, touches on so many things, as does the environment. So I can see why this is quite an integrated um, concept. But why is it so important? I think you've kind of touched on it, but, but why is it so important to where we're at now? Yeah, so I think the, the reason it's so important is we're starting to identify um, a number of different tipping points um, in terms of, of the environment. Um, you know, clearly in, on the top of everyone's mind right now is climate change. Um, uh, the challenges associated with climate change are becoming more apparent every year. Uh, most of the IPCC predictions that were made in the, in the 90s um, have, have proven to be too conservative. Um, we're seeing a warming occurring at a much uh, more accelerate, accelerated rate than, than previously um, understood. Um, and that's going to have huge implications um, you know, for, uh, for our future, um, both in terms of uh, the economic growth, um, economic development, but also people's jobs and, and people's livelihoods. Um, and, and so you know, it, is, it is a question that I think um, the, uh, you know, the, the, the world has, been, um, um, has understood that it's out there, but it's only now that we really need to start grappling with it, which is, you know, are there other types of economic systems? Are there other ways to measure our economy and economic development, um, other ways to uh, create uh, uh, new businesses, new jobs that, um, that actually consider uh, the environmental uh, costs associated with, with our actions? Great. Um, one thing that I didn't really know is that it's actually quite a new concept. Um, so when did this whole green economy, green growth and, uh, idea kind of get off the ground? So it, it is a, it's a fairly new concept, at least um, in its you know, current version. Um, certainly around the time that uh, sustainable development came to the fore, there was some discussion around this this, this, you know, how do we link uh, economic development uh, with environmental sustainability? Um, but the, the term green economy and green growth, they weren't coined um, until, uh, well, they were coined initially then, but they weren't, um, it really didn't take on an international dimension until much later. Um, it was around 2007, 2008 that UNEP, uh, the United Nations Environment Program, started its green economy initiative. And, um, and, that, was, uh, and that was really triggered in large part by the financial crisis. Um, at that stage, governments uh, were looking at other, at other pathways, other avenues for development because it was clear um, that the risks associated with an over-reliance um, on current economic, uh, economic uh, growth patterns uh, would not be sustainable. Um, and, and so they were much more open to discussions around, around new, new types of economic development, uh, um, new ways to measure um, economic growth. And, and so we really saw, saw the movement grow in the, uh, around 2007, 2008. Cool. So this month on Energy Voices, we're also talking the sustainable development goals, because as you know, we just had the summit uh, at, the, at the UN in New York. So how does green growth play into the SDGs? Yeah, so the, I mean, the SDGs is a, you know, it's, it's a really exciting um, period of time. Uh, you know, the fact that, that the governments have now um, decided to uh, focus their attention on, on very specific goals and indicators for um, development. Um, and I think what's, what's really exciting about the uh, sustainable development go goals is that they build on the, uh, the Millennium Development Goals, um, which, you know, some argue have been uh, successful, others argue not as successful as we would like, um, but certainly we're, we're effective in focusing um, the development community's attention on specific uh, targets. Um, green growth uh, is interesting because you know economic 
development economic activity uh, touches on nearly all of the sustainable development goals. It's really related to, to nearly all of them in some way uh, or another. Um, certainly uh, poverty reduction. Um, in order to achieve poverty reduction, we will need um, economic activity um, uh, to occur in, in, in the least developed countries. I mean, there's no, there's no question. Um, but if, you know, people often like to talk about specific um, sustainable development goals and, and, uh, and there's, as you know, numbers associated with those uh, goals. Um, the one that uh, resonates most closely with um, green growth is, is sustainable development goal number eight, um, which, uh, which is focused on promoting a sustained and inclusive um, economic growth. And so it's, it's, it's closely tied to that. Um, our particular initiative, the Green Growth Knowledge Platform, is really a, a global partnership. And so its, it's mandate is to try to draw together a number of, of leading institutions that are focused on looking at, at new economic models um, for growth and to bring those groups together and collaborate around identifying gaps in knowledge and then working uh, together to help uh, fill those gaps, whether it's, whether it's analytical or data gaps. Um, and it's, 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 it's now the leading global partnership focused on green growth. Great. And as you know, we're an energy-focused show. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what our audience is, is super interested in. So what role does energy play in green growth? Yeah. So, you know, energy, um, which will come as no surprise, I mean, most of our uh, modern economic development is, has been a result of, um, of a reliance on fairly um, inexpensive uh, fossil fuels. Um, and, you know, energy is inherent, the energy system is, and, and its importance is inherent to any type of economic modeling, any type of uh, future economic growth. Um, and so, you know, one of the key challenges for those interested in trying to marry this concept of continuing economic activity and growth and, and environmental sustainability will be a focus on energy and can we shift, you know, our current energy patterns and our current, current sources of energy in such a way that, um, that promotes long-term sustainability. And so you, know, you really can't speak about green growth without also having a discussion around energy systems uh, because they're so closely tied together. That is true. It is linked to everything, we think. <laughs> so how is the Green Growth Knowledge Platform enabling green growth? You've mentioned a few things, but what are some of your initiatives you're working on? What are the things that you're kind of on the ground doing to enable green growth globally? Yeah. So the, the Green Growth Knowledge Platform was uh, originally established by four global institutions. The World Bank, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, which is based in Paris, um, the United Nations Environment Program, which is based in Nairobi, and the Global Green Growth Institute, which is based in, uh, in Seoul, um, uh, Republic of Korea. And the idea behind establishing this platform, there was really two ideas. Um, the first was that there's a tremendous amount of analysis and data that's currently being produced um, by a range of different institutions, global leaders, uh, thought leaders in this field. And the idea is that it would be very useful to draw this information together, this data together, and make it easily accessible to the professionals that are working on the topic and that are really engaging with government officials at the national level throughout the world. And so many of our partners have offices in, in developing countries and developed countries and are constantly engaging with um, officials from various government ministries. 
And so our job is really to make sure that they have the latest analysis and data available to them when they, um, when they work with these, uh, with these officials. Um, the other um, part of the mission is really focused on trying to identify where we still are missing information and data um, in order to drive forward a new, uh, a new economy. And, uh, and there still is quite a bit of data and information missing. And so um, we, uh, we organize uh, groups of experts to assess, um, uh, assess what the information that is missing around, around particular sectors. So whether it might be um, in, in particular themes. So uh, for instance, one of our uh, groups is focused on trade and competitiveness. And so they look to that field and, and, and ident try to identify where are, we seeing, um, where are we seeing gaps in knowledge, and then working with the institutions and leveraging a larger global research initiatives to fill those gaps. Um, we, we, we started with those four founding institutions. We're now uh, a partnership of over 40 leading global institutions and regional institutions um, and think tanks around the world and, 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 and growing. Cool. So where can our students and our listeners get more information about GGKP? So there, there's many, thank you for asking. <laughs> there's many, there are many ways to find out more information about GGKP. Certainly, um, you know, I would, um, I would encourage, um, I would encourage everyone to take a look at our website. Um, so that's a, at a greengrowthknowledge.org. Um, so www.greengrowthknowledge.org. Um, I would also encourage um, uh, colleagues to you know, sign up to our newsletter. Um, we have uh, around 3,300 recipients of the newsletter. And we have also have a very active LinkedIn group, um, Green Growth Knowledge Platform LinkedIn group, which is uh, nearly, nearly 600 members right now. So if you're interested in these topics, um, there's active discussions on our LinkedIn group and then, of course, through uh, Twitter. Perfect. And, and we do love Twitter. So make sure to mention uh, GGKP when you're on Twitter. And uh, of course, with Student Energy's blog, we always provide these resources. So we'll make sure that there's some links for you all uh, to the Green Growth Knowledge Platform and their work. One of my favorite parts of the GGKP website is the country map, where you can see different indicators around green growth. And there's also a whole learning section. So if you're looking to learn more, there's a lot of great resources there. And with that, we'll wrap it up. So thank you so much for being here, Ben, and for joining us. And uh, let's really hope we see some progress with green growth with these SDGs now in place. Thank you so much, Kayla. It's been a real pleasure. That brings to a close another month's episode of Energy Voices on CGSW 90.9 FM. Energy Voices is produced by Sean Collins and Kai Sinclair. Energy Voices is produced with assistance from Bullfrog Power and their Student Life Initiative. If you want to learn more about how you can live a cleaner and greener life, visit bullfrogpower.ca slash studentlife. All previous episodes of Energy Voices are available in iTunes or your favorite podcast service. You can also stream at bit.ly slash energyvoices. Voices.